It's a great privilege to be here. My new role is as uh, Director of the Centre for Baptist Studies at Regents Park College, uh, which was formerly known as the Centre for Baptist History and Heritage. As you'll know from the name, uh, rebrand, that's uh, an indication that uh, we're wanting to expand the remit of the centre and I'm really keen to talk to as many of you as possible after uh, in the breaks today to see how the centre there can best serve your needs and the needs of, of the church in particular. Uh, my uh, paper today however reflects my uh, expertise as a New Testament scholar in that for the past 17 years I've been running the Centre for Reception History of the Bible at the University of Oxford and currently I'm still doing so in a process of transition uh, to another colleague. And so uh, that leads me nicely into the title of today's talk, which is Seeing the Scriptures, Interpreting Mark's Gospel Through Art. And I hope, if nothing else, that this will perhaps trigger and stimulate some thoughts about uh, both positives and negatives about how art might inform your own uh, biblical exegesis in whatever context uh, you find yourself. Um, so I thought I'd begin just by defining the term very briefly and very superficially because I'm aware that not all people are uh, familiar with uh, methodological developments within biblical studies. So reception history is a term used to refer to the practice of tracing how biblical texts have been interpreted across the centuries in diverse contexts and media. The emergence of reception history has been embraced as liberating by many New Testament scholars, including myself, um, with the art gallery providing a happy context for scholars seeking fresh perspectives on biblical texts. But what can biblical art contribute to our task of textual interpretation? And by shifting our attention to the Bible in art, are we simply exchanging one form of patriarchy for another? To explore these questions further, I intend to focus in this paper on artistic interpretations of some female characters in Mark's Gospel. And due to time constraints, I'm going to concentrate on four Markan texts. Um, oh, here we go. So, uh, Jairus' daughter, the hemorrhaging woman, uh, what I've labelled pushy mothers, that will become clear uh, later on, and the women at the empty tomb. The artistic Examples I've selected illustrate the diverse media and context in which biblical art occurs, ranging from magical amulets to oil paintings and reliquary covers. Furthermore, these case studies offer contrasting perspectives on the place and significance of women in Mark's narrative. So Jairus' daughter is seen to prefigure Jesus himself, quite a radical uh, statement. The hemorrhaging woman's bold risk-taking action, often obscured in subsequent tradition, is found in one example to be an empowering narrative used by women in the ancient world. The pushy mothers to emerge from Cranach's paintings of Mark 10 make visible hitherto invisible female characters in the Markan narrative. And the women disciples at the empty tomb are regarded, at least in some contexts, as responding to a divine epiphany rather than manifesting character failings. Most importantly, I want to argue that by sampling interpretations of Mark and female characters in biblical art, one becomes acutely aware that, that uh, women cannot be defined as a single category whose experiences of patriarchy in different times and places are necessarily similar. Therefore, a more nuanced approach is required. I also want to suggest that reading Mark's gospel through art extends beyond a feminist agenda to witness to the dynamic nature of the biblical text, which resists closure. 
Before proceeding further, two additional explanatory comments concerning my methodological uh, approach are required. Firstly, my paper does not seek to offer a developmental account of visual motifs. So it does not adopt a chronological approach, but rather brings unrelated artistic examples into dialogue with the Markan text. And secondly, my aim is not to give comprehensive coverage of the passages under review, but rather to offer, through some select examples, my thoughts on the potential benefits and pitfalls resulting from encountering Mark's gospel in art. We begin then with Jairus's daughter, a character who remains nameless in the Markan narrative, identified only by her relationship to her parents. Perhaps because readers are familiar with other accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead elsewhere in the Gospels, the astounding import of Jairus' daughter's resurrection is frequently missed by scholarly commentators. It's simply labelled as a healing miracle. Yet in Mark's Gospel, this is the only instance where Jesus raises someone from the dead. The same verbs, agairo and anistemi, are used to describe both the girl's restoration to life and Jesus' resurrection. Furthermore, the term used to describe the amazed reaction to the girl's recovery, ecstasis, appears again only once in Mark, at 16.8, to express the women's astonishment at the news that Jesus has raised from the dead. According to Robin Jensen, the raising of Jairus' daughter is added to the iconographic repertoire towards the end of the 3rd or the beginning of the 4th century, and typically, Christ is portrayed grasping the girl's hand, indicating by this gesture his life-giving act. Sometimes he's represented touching the girl with a thaumaturgical staff instead of his hand, as in this 4th century sarcophagus, or raising his hand instead of touching her as he calls the girl back to life. Today, however, I will focus particularly on how this girl captivated the attention of the Czech-born artist Gabriel von Max, probably because of his wider interest in portraying uh, dead or dying young women. As a consequence, his images shocked and disturbed viewers of his work due to their morbid fascination, in contrast to other late Romantic painters of his time. Three versions of Jairus' daughter painted by Max can be identified. The German version from a private collection is similar to this one from Montreal, but smaller in size. And the Montreal version uh, has more restrained colouring, and you'll notice the fly on the girl's arm. This is uh, 1878. And a third version is uh, now found in the Walters Museum. The subtle way that Max portrays Jairus' daughter through the male gaze becomes more apparent uh, when we compare his two paintings of her with his similar painting, The Anatomist, Der Anatom, uh, which critics noted for its sinister and sensual features. But I want to draw attention to what I perceive to be a striking contribution to emerge from Max's paintings of Jairus' daughter, namely the way in which she's regarded as a forerunner of Christ himself. The parallels between the girl's rising and Jesus' resurrection are clearly evoked in this painting, where the girl is wrapped in burial cloths, underlining the state of death from which she's returned. Notice also the insects that Max includes in both the paintings, perhaps to signify further the girl's dead state. So here we find the artist pointing to the radical import of the Markan narrative, I suggest. Now, despite Mark's significant textual interweaving of Jairus' daughter with the hemorrhaging woman, the visual afterlife of the hemorrhoisa, or woman with the flow of blood, is more often solo than in the company of her narrative partner. 
The frequency with which the hemorrhaging woman appears in early Christian art is particularly striking. And in a variety of contexts, from magical amulets to sarcophagi, she becomes a conventional figure in miracle cycles, most easily identified by her prostrate position, grasping Jesus' garment. The earliest known image, this one dating from the early 3rd century, appears in the catacomb of Saints Marcellinus and Peter in Rome and shows Jesus turning to bless the woman at the same time as she grasped the hem of his garment. This portrayal of the woman receiving a blessing from Jesus as she touches his garment became a standard feature of iconographic representations. But notice that this reverses the dramatic import of the Markan text. There, in contrast, the woman gains healing anonymously from amongst the crowd so that Jesus is unable to identify her. Visual representations of Jesus blessing the woman as she grasps his hem direct the viewer to focus on Jesus' action rather than the act of the woman. Indeed, sometimes Jesus is even portrayed touching the woman's head. Thus, what becomes the established iconographic convention changes Mark's own radical emphasis on the woman's bold risk-taking action. A different perspective on the hemorrhaging woman emerges when we include material evidence of her reception, specifically on magical amulets designed as, as aids for women with reproductive health and menstrual problems. On this example, a corrupted version of the Markan text is cited, and on one side of the amulet is reference to a woman with a flow of blood suffering much, having spent her money to no benefit, getting not better but worse, and then the reverse side mentions that her hemorrhage stopped on account of her faith. Indeed, this um, apotropaic function of the text on magical amulets is an important reminder of perhaps uncomfortable magical elements in the Markan narrative, where Jesus perceives power going out of him without his prior knowledge. Here then, we find an example of a biblical text about women being used by women in the ancient world. Our explorations thus far have illustrated multifaceted contributions of biblical art to the task of exegesis, including cases where it's at odds with the biblical narrative. Sometimes, however, biblical art can reveal aspects of the text which might otherwise be missed. By way of example, we might consider Lucas Cranach's painting, Christ Blessing the Children, which his workshop produced more than 20 versions of, with this example dating from the mid-1530s and now held in the Stadel Museum in Frankfurt. The image shows Christ surrounded by a crowd of women, densely grouped together against a black background. As Kibbish notes, the frame cuts very low above the heads of the figure, thus increasing the effect of closeness and density. In his left hand, Christ somewhat precariously cradles a child, presumably belonging to the woman with praying hands. And uh, simultaneously, he stretches out his right hand to bless a child lying on a cushion. Its mother, however, is distracted by her other child to whom her gaze is directed. All the babies in the picture are portrayed naked, in contrast to the older, clothed children present. On the right, a baby suckles at its mother's breast, whilst behind Jesus, another baby attempts to clamber onto his back. One of the less pushy mothers, at the back, draws the viewer into the picture by looking straight at us. Meanwhile, the woman on the left of the picture touches Jesus' garment, evoking the image of the aforementioned hemorrhaging woman. Her child clutches an, an apple symbolising fallen humanity. 
The image engages the viewer with its agitated movements and gestures. I would therefore challenge Stephen Osmond's suggestion that the scene depicts a throng of infants and their older siblings, quote, as they wait patiently in line to be taken from the arms of their mothers and placed in those of their saviour. As I see it, the scene is a lot more chaotic, with figures clamouring to get near to Jesus for him to touch their children as they encircle him. Notice how the male disciples are marginalised in the image, confined to the left-hand corner, in contrast to the women and children who dominate the painting. The apostles are physically squeezed out of the picture, with only three faces being visible. And along the top of the picture, although not visible in this photographic reproduction, the text from the Gospel of Mark 10:14 is inscribed in German, and the use of the vernacular there, uh, rather than Latin, for the biblical uh, inscription is worth noting, and is something that we could talk about uh, if that's um, of interest later uh, in the question time. Perhaps it was the densely crowded nature of this image, with its prominent gaggle of women, that brought to mind the label "pushy mothers." The artist certainly succeeded in drawing my attention as viewer to the identity of those who brought the children to Jesus. In contrast, we might note, the Markan text does not specify who brought the children to Jesus, using the third-person impersonal uh, form of the verb prosepheron to simply state they were bringing children to him. Later, visual representations of the text have variations in the audience depicted. Some include many women, others only one or two. But my point is that the visual impact of Cranach's image suggests a, a stark uh, contrast between the women as models of discipleship and their male counterparts and prompts us to return to the biblical text and reconsider the role of those who brought their children to Jesus. Further contrast between women disciples and their male counterparts can be found at the conclusion of Mark's Gospel where reference is made to some female disciples fleeing from the tomb and saying nothing to anyone because of their fear. Opinion is divided about how this uh, conclusion is to be interpreted. Are the women ultimately to be regarded as failures, even they let Jesus down in the end, or simply as fallible followers, with the narrator implying that despite their initial silence, the message was passed on in the end? The visual tradition of Mark 16, 1-20 offers some distinctive contributions to this discussion. Of particular interest is the connection that emerged between Mark 16 and baptism, with the women portrayed as symbols of dying and rising with Christ. Hence, the women frequently appear on baptismal fonts, as illustrated by the Baptisteria Sacra Index, and this is an example from Loderup uh, in Sweden. It's worth noting at this point that the earliest imagery of the resurrection was not of Jesus emerging from the tomb but rather of the women finding the empty tomb and typically the women are portrayed encountering an angel and clutching spices with their demeanour fearful or apprehensive. Um, uh, Occasionally they're depicted uh, in flight from the tomb and an example of the women's impending flight can be found on this 11th or 12th century silver reliquary cover where if you look at the women's feet, uh, one woman's foot turns outwards as she looks back towards the angel in her anxiety clinging to her companion. Now interestingly this, this image raises questions about the relationship between text and image uh, because we see uh, combined with the uh, visuals uh, some text which reads come and see Juta Ide, the place where they laid the Lord 
and above the women is written, they were overcome with trembling and shock, tromoskai ecstasis, which are peculiarly Markan terms. On the edge of the cover stands the text of a Greek hymn, which reads, in what glory appeared the angel to the women? From far away, one sees the splendor of his innate dignity and the purity of his immaterial transcendence. His beauty proclaims the splendor of the resurrection. He calls loudly, the Lord is risen. This example then demonstrates the impact of combining text and image and uh, raises questions about how a text might constrain interpretation, as well as pointing to a challenge to current New Testament scholarship, which has uh, categorically refuted the idea of interpreting Mark 16 as an encounter with uh, epiphany and uh, as taken alternative paths. Now, I'm aware of, of time constraints, and so at this point, I'm going to skip over uh, the next two slides because I do want to uh, leave time for some discussion at the end. Uh, simply, my point here was to draw attention in the next two slides to the canonical um, way in which Mark uh, 16 is often read. Again, this is resisting New Testament scholarship, which prefers to take uh, text uh, on their own terms simply as Mark's gospel whereas if we look at the visual tradition we see very much an integration of the gospel uh, with other events uh, such as here the road to Emmaus indicating that uh, the Markham version of the women at the empty tomb with the women in flight was not regarded as the end of the story fear and silence is not regarded as the end of the story and then this second example again uh, a canonical uh, reading of the text where the women at the empty tomb is juxtaposed uh, with ascension and what does that do to our understanding uh, of the narrative. But in the last five minutes, I do just want to spend some time uh, offering uh, some reflections uh, on what art might contribute to our uh, interpretive approach to uh, Mark's Gospel. So first of all, um, I simply want to uh, highlight that I take on board uh, the suggestion of Deborah Sawyer uh, that um, we need to uh, query uh, the gender categories that are used and in fact some people prefer uh, to resist uh, focusing on female characters and prefer instead to destabilise uh, the binary gender distinctions that have been imported into uh, biblical scholarship. However, the point I wanted to make today was simply to underline the diversity in the reception of uh, female figures uh, and suggesting that instead um, we need to uh, resist the temptation to uh, treat women uh, simply as a, a homogenous group in the way that, uh, that we treat them. And, uh, for example, uh, in particular... Uh, the second point is uh, one to uh, bear particular attention to, um, that experiencing artistic representations of biblical women alerts us to the complexities of a gender agenda and the varying roles that women play, both in the biblical text and in their afterlives. The universalising and essentialising tendencies of Western biblical interpreters need to be resisted. As Deborah Sawyer points out, this is imperative to avoid feminism being blind to basic differences of experience, where from a 21st century standpoint, the minority experience of white, colonial, 
educated and comparatively affluent women has been given the, as the norm for women's experience. And uh, to extend this critique still further, we must also be alert to the temptation of presenting biblical art simply as the art produced by Italian Renaissance painters, rather than reflecting its diversity, uh, both geographically and temporally. And I think this is a very real uh, challenge which needs to be uh, given much more attention in the uh, approach to uh, biblical art. My second point of reflection is to highlight that art can disrupt traditional readings and offer new perspectives on Mark's gospel. As Cheryl Exum, sorry, oh, as Cheryl Exum notes, art can enhance our understanding and appreciation of the biblical text, but it can also bring a critical dimension. It can point to problematic aspects of the text and help us to see things about the text we might have overlooked or enable us to see things differently. At times, this might mean alerting us to some uncomfortable implications of biblical texts, or causing us to stop and reconsider the implications of minor details which have all too often been glossed. But this can also be a positive experience in pointing us towards the dynamic, open nature of the Bible, which stubbornly resists closure. And at this point, I do think that uh, the... Um, in some ways, art can visualise assumptions which are masked in textual interpretations of New Testament texts. And so, for example, uh, the, the colonial white perspective, which is uh, uh, often assumed within New Testament scholarship, uh, or, or many varieties of New Testament scholarship, is made visible when we are confronted vis visually with white characters in art. And I think that by doing so, that is verbalising a problem that we need to confront and address. And so that's something that I think is uh, a positive uh, contribution, which then needs to be critiqued. And then thirdly, um, I've hinted at some ways in which biblical art can function to expose the privileging of the male point of view in the recounting of biblical stories about women. However, juxtaposing different versions of the same biblical narrative can serve the additional purpose of alerting us to our own social and cultural assumptions. As Martin O'Kane puts it, by appreciating a range of visual expressions of the same biblical subject in many different art traditions, we free ourselves from the limits of our present horizon and recognise that no single expression of the theme is ever complete or definitive, since the subject addressed is simply inexhaustible and therefore always more than any individual expression. So to conclude, my aim in this paper was to offer some suggestions about how biblical art might enrich um, Mark's gospel by focusing on four female characters. I've also suggested different ways in which it both can uh, bring to light aspects of the text and in other ways uh, subvert the text. So I've sought to provide examples where um, sometimes dimensions of the text otherwise missed are foregrounded, such as with Cranach's pushy mothers. Other instances, such as with the hemorrhaging woman and the iconographic tradition, which subverts the uh, bold implications of the Markan text itself, so making more complex the whole debate. 
and above all to point to the uh, multivalency of the Markan narrative which visual exegesis directs us to. Paul Ricoeur in his reflections on biblical exegesis comments to interpret is not a question of imposing on the text our finite capacity of understanding but of exposing ourselves to the text and receiving from it an enlarged self. It has been my contention in this paper that through visual exegesis this result is achieved and we do come away from the experience enlarged. I'll give the final word today to my former doctoral supervisor Chris Rowland who when he was reflecting on how Blake's art had impacted his own interpretive approach writes the book the bible is never an end in itself never the object of devotion for one must look through it with it and indeed beyond it back to the reality in which one lives. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. That was fascinating. Uh, great to hear Chris Rowland. He was my uh, doctoral examiner. So, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, thank you for raising, um, raising Jairus' daughter and the hemorrhaging woman. Um, those of us who have pre- used the narrative lectionary will be preaching on that passage a week Sunday. I'm just oh, in the middle okay. of writing that sermon. So thank you very much. I've got some illustrations. Excellent. <laughs> um, so questions. Andy, you've got your hand up already. Uh, is there something about art that sometimes is wanting to capture multiple, mo- multiple moments in one picture? Mm-hmm. So I've seen that in different images. Um, so maybe that hemorrhaging woman with the blessing is, is the ultimate moment she's reaching out and then at the end of the story Jesus blesses. So could we hold the two moments in the single picture? So, so kind of redeeming that kind of iconography a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's right in that uh, that synchronicity and, and bringing together of moments uh, is um, is a possible reading of, of that. Uh, However, I, I do want to just underline, I, I think that something is missed when, when the focus becomes on Jesus healing rather than if you go back to the Mark and text, I think it's absolutely radical the way in which that narrative is presented. And so um, in a sense, I'm wanting to say that art isn't always doing a favour to the text in the way it's interpreting it. Um, you mentioned something that sort of struck me earlier, um, that was about how art can help New Testament scholars to sort of uh, think about scripture and to offer us new perspective. So I just wanted to ask, how important do you think it is for biblical scholars in the Old Testament and New Testament to engage with art from, say, Latin America, African or Asian background mm-hmm. in elucidating some of this text how I would say I think that's absolutely uh, crucial but that it, and that this is kind of a, an agenda that needs to be pushed in that uh, I think it's important to see artists as biblical interpreters and that uh, it's interesting I presented on uh, on digital theology in the way that when you search on Google and so on that there are uh, um, automatically the results are framed to throw up certain search terms which often exclude uh, the sort of art that you're referring to and that that's something that I think needs to be the next phase in terms of the visual exegesis that is being uh, brought into biblical studies to actually uh, raise the uh, questions that you're raising and I think both for Old Testament and New Testament and in fact my colleague Cheryl Exum who I quoted is herself an Old Testament scholar wanting to uh, bring questions to Old Testament interpretation so I mean one um, 
critique of using visual exegesis within biblical studies has been that it applies to some books more readily than others so to narrative texts rather than to Pauline texts interestingly at the seminar that we convene I convened in Oxford on Monday there was a fabulous uh, artist uh, called Mark Casale who had has just done a visual representation of of Hebrews and the cloud of witnesses so I think one can find things but you have to dig and to promote and to publicize so I think that's important yeah thank you I think we've got time for one more question yeah um, so, a uh, massive tradition of uh, portraying a narrative in art through history, but all the results were prophecy from some time ago. My question is, um, we've just, just mentioned one, so the only art, contemporary art I've seen is, is much more abstract, you know, like my previous history we have pictures representing a verse in the psalm. It was always very abstract, you never know how I look at it because of the explanation. No, no, actually, so I would really recommend everybody to go and look at, and particularly for the, it, I was uh, frustrated that uh, Mark Casale's images were not from Mark's gospel, otherwise I would have integrated those in. The, uh, he's got a fabulous, everybody should go and look at his Man with Legion, which is just fantastic. Um, but because I was looking at women, that couldn't, I couldn't, in fact, uh, oh, is it in here? I think I might have that as a, sorry. That, so that's Mark Casale. Oh, wow. Uh, Mary, Martha and Mary, and uh, that's the man who was Legion. So, absolutely phenomenal. So, I would recommend his work also. Uh, so, interestingly, he has moved into more abstract work, but uh, has just produced a booklet which is going to go live in the Diocese of Canterbury uh, this Lent, uh, doing biblical interpretations. So, he's not moved only to that. But also, uh, Nicholas Mine here, spelt M-Y-N-H-E-R, is amazing. And again, he does really challenging things with the biblical text so I think yes there is some abstract art but it's not all abstract so Nicholas Mine here, Roger Wagner and Mark Casale will be three people who I would highly recommend to you thank you, okay, thank you.